0: Gaza City is shrouded in darkness. With no electricity, the only light comes from the fires. As Israeli planes strike another target, a bright flash illuminates a patch of sky. Smoke billows up. A moment passes, and then another airstrike. In the al shadi refugee camp, also in Gaza City, women can be heard screaming for help. This footage was recorded on October 27th. At this point, the Israeli bombardment of Gaza continued unabated for 20 days. One week on, the bombardment continues and the number of dead continues to rise. My name is Hugo Goodridge, and you're listening to The New Arab Voice. Following the brutal attack by Hamas on October 7th, everyone knew that Israel would respond. They knew that Israel would respond with violence. The Palestinian people of Gaza have seen a violent response in the past, on numerous occasions. 2014 and 2021 were particularly bloody flare-ups in violence. In between these larger conflicts, the threat of violence is always present and killings are a frequent occurrence. So far, this conflict has dwarfed those that have come before. Perhaps the first warning signs that this conflict was going to be far worse for the people of Gaza than previous attacks came with the response of world leaders.
1: In this moment of tragedy, I want to say to them and to the world and to terrorists everywhere that the United States stands with Israel we will not ever fail to have her back. You know, when I spoke with Prime Minister Netanyahu this morning, I told him the United States stands with the people of Israel in the face of these terrorist assaults. Israel has the right to defend itself and its people, full stop.
0: The message that came was clear. Israel is off the leash, and it can act in any way it sees fit. Immediately following the attack by Hamas, Israel started airstrikes. On October 9th, Two days after the attack, Israeli Defense Minister Yoav Galant announced that the siege was tightening. We are putting a complete siege on Gaza. No electricity, no food, no water, no gas. It's all closed. We're fighting animals and are acting accordingly. Following this, a number of people did start to speak up, pointing out, correctly, That to cut off food, water, and electricity to a people is a breach of international law. But Western nations stayed by Israel's side. This was US Secretary of State Antony Blinken before boarding a plane to Israel on October the 11th, two days after the tightening of the siege was announced. We are heading, as you know, to uh, Israel, and I'm going with a very simple and clear message on behalf of the President of the United States and on behalf of the American people,
2: and that is that the United States has Israel's back. We have the back of the Israeli people. We have their back today, we'll have it tomorrow, we will have it every day. I'm a Palestinian, Um, my name is uh, Sally Ibrahim, a Palestinian uh, young woman from the Gaza Strip, mainly from Talil Hawa neighbourhood in the west of uh, Gaza City.
0: Sally Ibrahim is the New Arabs correspondent in Gaza. Since the start of the conflict, Sally has been sending voice notes via WhatsApp to the new Arab voice.
2: Actually, since uh, Israel, the Israeli government uh, announced that it had completed its blockade of Gaza a few days ago, neither uh, me nor any other one uh, can, uh, can know or uh, can imagine how we would be able to get the supplies uh, that we need. The only thing that we are doing now uh, is reducing uh, our uh, uh, our meals uh, every day, uh, and uh, eat uh, once a day instead of uh, three times. In addition, we try all the time uh, to think about how we, we how we uh, would uh, protect ourselves from the death, uh, mainly uh, amid the ongoing Israeli aircrafts uh, that uh, threaten uh, that threaten our lives uh, and. Um, and uh, attack uh, a lot of people without even alarming uh, them.
0: With the siege tightened and the intense bombardments continuing, nowhere in Gaza was safe. The intense death and destruction continued day after day. On October 13th, something different fell on the people of Gaza. Against an intense blue sky, a cloud of white fluttering flyers fell into Gaza, they carried a message, leave. It read, evacuate your homes immediately and go south of Wadi Gaza. On the fly was a rough map of the Gaza Strip with a line drawn across it. They were told that the north was no longer safe and that they must move south below the line. The area, now effectively declared to be a battlefield by the Israeli military, was home to 1.1 million people they were given 24 hours to leave. The order was condemned by the UN and the World Health Organization. A spokesperson for the WHO addressed reporters. WHO joins the wider United Nations appeal to Israel to immediately rescind orders for the evacuation within the next 24 hours of 1.1 million people living north of Wadi, Gaza. Moving severely ill people and remember, many of those are children. And uh, these severely ill people whose injuries mean their only chances of survival is, a, is a being on a life support such as mechanical ventilators. So moving those people is a death sentence. Some stayed in defiance. Many could not leave. Others took what they could and headed south. Unclear of where they could stay and where was safe. All they could do was Go south and hope. Today, we do not know where to go. There is no safe place. We have turned to UNRWA and to the United Nations. Today, Israel is committing massacres against civilians and our children are now under the rubble. We do not know where our children are and we do not know what to do. We have no food or water. I'm appealing to the United Nations in front of UNRWA building. Where do we go? Israel cited vague areas as being safe for evacuating civilians. They weren't. They were hit by airstrikes. More people were killed.
2: Israel already uh, asked all the people to get out uh, of the north and go to the southern part of the coastal enclave. For people it was a just crazy order and it was impossible. But under the ongoing Israeli strike the people were forced to do and to implement what Israel ordered them. Yes, I saw thousands or maybe hundreds of thousands on our road while we while we were trying uh, to keep uh, to leaving uh, this uh, our Gaza city and heading to the southern part of uh, of the coastal enclave, it was a terrible, and uh, we had witnessed a new massacre committed by the Israeli water planes as uh, they attacked uh, some vehicles, civilian vehicles, and killed more than seventy people on the road of Salah al Din, the main road uh, linking between Gaza and uh, the. Other governorates uh, from the northern parts uh, to the southern part of, of Gaza. Yes, I, once we arrived uh, to Daraa barah we have we have uh, witnessed a high a high number of people who live in in the public streets and they don't have even any places that they could. Uh, evacuate or they could displace inside them, which uh, prompted uh, the locals here in Dar al to open their wedding halls, public uh, clubs, sports clubs, uh, as well as other uh, farms to so the uh, people, just to allow them to be inside area or inside specific places that they can leave, sleep uh, under the Israeli ongoing uh, air strikes.
0: On the evening of October 17th, it was reported that the Al Ahli Hospital in Gaza City was hit by a blast, and hundreds were reported dead. At the time, the building was packed with families who had sought shelter from the bombings. In the days that followed, intense confusion abounded. Initial reports blamed an Israeli airstrike. Counterclaims said that a rocket fired by Hamas had fallen from the sky and hit the hospital. Open source analysis was shared online. Some of it showed that a Hamas rocket was to blame. Other analysis said that an Israeli airstrike was responsible. Some came to the conclusion that a Hamas rocket was shot out of the sky by an Israeli projectile, which then caused it to land on a hospital. Because of the siege, and because of the continuing assault, the -the on-the-ground investigations that would be needed to determine culpability have not happened. There are some things we do know. Israel was conducting airstrikes. Israel had warned the hospital to evacuate. In previous conflicts, Israeli airstrikes have hit medical facilities. Israel also has a track record of denial when it comes to war crimes. Many have cited the murder of Al Jazeera journalist Shirin Abu Akleh, which Israel initially denied but was later found to be responsible. We also know that a spokesperson for the Israeli Air Force appeared to take responsibility for the strike in a social media post before hurriedly deleting it. We also know that rockets were being fired from an area that was either near the hospital or in an adjacent neighbourhood to the hospital. We also know that not all rockets fired by either Hamas or their fellow fighters in the Palestinian Islamic Jihad are successful and have been known to fall on Gaza and kill innocent civilians. There's a chance that we might never know. The explosion at the Al Ahli hospital was sadly just the latest black mark in the conflict.
2: We just felt there is a fire and things were falling on us. And we started looking for each other Suddenly the electricity cut and we couldn't see each other. I don't know how to describe it to you. I don't know how we managed to come out of this.
0: While people pointed fingers and studied the scorch marks on the ground in photos, the attacks continued. Two days after the blast at the hospital, an Israeli missile hit the Greek Orthodox Church of St. Brafarius. Dating back to the 12th century, it is believed to be the third oldest church in the world. When the church was hit, there were over 450 men, women and children, Christians and Muslims, sheltering from the carnage. At least 16 were killed, and the church, built by crusaders, was reduced to a pile of rubble. The massacre continued. Every day the death toll grew, the hospitals became overwhelmed, the medicine supplies were scarce and then non-existent. The fuel needed to power life-saving equipment ran low and then ran out. Homes, schools, businesses, bakeries, everything has been bombed. There's nowhere to go and nowhere is safe. In desperation, many have travelled to the Rafah Crossing in the south, hoping to escape into Egypt. The Rafa Crossing was also bombed. Ten days on from the start of the conflict, half of Gaza's population of 2.2 million people had been forced from their homes. On the evening of October 27th, Gaza lost contact with the world. The two major phone networks that serve the Strip and provide life-saving lines of communication were cut by Israel. Fear and panic spread. Overnight intense bombardments hit the Gaza Strip. No warnings could be given. No ambulances could be called for, nothing in, nothing out. The people of Gaza, who already felt abandoned by the international community, were alone in the dark, under fire and scared. The next day, the Israeli army released this video on social media.
2: Attention, citizens of Gaza, listen carefully. This is an urgent military advisory from the Israel Defence Forces. For your immediate safety, we urge all residents of northern Gaza and Gaza City to temporarily relocate south. Let me repeat. We urge all residents of northern Gaza and Gaza City to relocate south immediately. This
0: This warning for the people of Gaza was sent in English, on social media, to a population who had already suffered yet another intense night of violence and had no access to the internet. Connection was later restored, but it remains patchy. 24 days after the initial Hamas attack, Israel started to intensify ground operations in northern Israel. Simultaneously, the densely packed Jabalia refugee camp was hit by an Israeli airstrike. The largest of eight refugee camps in the Gaza Strip, with a population of 116,011 people, living in a 1.4 square kilometre area, Jabalia Refugee Camp was one of the most densely populated areas in the Gaza Strip. One day later, on November 1st, it was hit again. Over two days and two airstrikes, at least 195 people were killed. On November 1st, the latest death toll was released by the Ministry of Health. 9,061 have been killed, including 3,760 children. 22,911 have been injured. Tomorrow it will be more. The next day it will rise again and again and again. The violence in the Gaza Strip is intense and will continue killing people. The violence has also impacted the intense humanitarian crisis in the Gaza Strip.
3: The humanitarian situation in Gaza was already at crisis point before October the 7th, largely because of the illegal and inhumane 16-year-old blockade and the regular military attacks on what, some 2.2 million people trapped in the Strip.
0: This is Christian Benedict, the Crisis Response Manager at Amnesty UK. Israel imposed a full blockade on Gaza in June 2007. By land, sea and air, the Israeli authorities severely limited entry of materials into the Gaza Strip, including food, medicine and building materials. Israel also limited who could leave Gaza, with work permits for Palestinians in Gaza heavily restricted and requests to travel for medical procedures, including life-saving treatment, often denied. By the time the siege entered its 15th year in 2022, 80% of the population were dependent on humanitarian assistance in some capacity, with over 60% needing food assistance. Almost half the population was unemployed, half the population under the age of 18 and 78% of piped water in Gaza was unfit for human consumption.
3: Now, we are at unprecedented levels of human suffering. We haven't seen this before. Children, women, the elderly, people with disabilities, all of them are going without water, without food, medicine, the very things that are needed to keep them alive. And then they're having to contend With these relentless Israeli bombardments in a place where there is absolutely no safe areas. And Israel is not making any distinction between civilians and combatants.
0: With the start of the recent Israeli bombardment, the siege has only intensified. The borders with Israel that did see a small trickle of aid were sealed. And the Rafah crossing in the south of the Gaza Strip, where most of the aid came from, was also closed shut. Compared to pre-October the 7th, where you
3: were talking something like up to 500 trucks of aid a day going into Gaza, and there was a humanitarian crisis then. Now you're looking at a trickle. Less than 100 trucks have gone in since this crisis started. So we are seeing deliberate collective punishment, which is a war crime, and it needs to be called out by all UK political leaders.
0: Amid all the violence, it is worth asking the question, what does Israel want?
1: I think the IDF and other military officials and political officials, including the Israeli Prime Minister Bibi Netanyahu, was clear that the primary objective is to obliterate Hamas, is to ensure that Hamas ceases to exist. Hamas, as well as other groups, that have also um, perpetrated this unprecedented attack on Israel. So that would include Palestinian Islamic Jihad, as they have presence in Gaza as well.
0: This is Marissa Kerma, the program director of the Middle East program at the Wilson Center.
1: How this happens is the question that is extremely difficult to answer given the civilian population in Gaza. While the target, for the IDF are Hamas militants, commanders, and those who planned and perpetrated the attack. What we are seeing, of course, is a significant human toll, not only in terms of internal displacement, but in terms of the uh, the death toll.
0: If Israel remains determined to complete its objective of destroying Hamas, and its determination does not seem to be wavering, then the cost of civilian life will be extremely high. So the natural follow-up question would then be, if Israel does achieve its objective, what will it do with what remains of Gaza?
1: The scenarios that are out there are difficult to imagine being realistic at this point because it is a very complex situation. We're seeing a lot of destruction to infrastructure in Gaza, so there will be a lot to do in terms of just reconstruction. But there's more than that. It's, it's just, it's beyond the concrete. It's about governance, who will take over, who will maintain security um, at the border.
0: There are a handful of options, although none are appealing to any side.
1: Reoccupying Gaza for the Israelis is not a path towards peace and security for Israel and for the Palestinians and the neighbors. Bringing in and some, some sort of international force that comprises different countries, particularly from the West, is also very risky and at this point unimaginable. Inviting Arab countries to be part of such a force or part of such an international umbrella to govern Gaza is also, at this point, very difficult to imagine. So there are conversations that are already taking place, as they should, about the day after. But at this point, we also don't know when this day is going to come because we've been hearing from various military officials in Israel that this is going to be a long war. Not weeks, but months of fighting. And that is essentially their realisation that once they've entered with ground troops, and they have over the last few days, and once that invasion deepens further and further, they will be engaged in urban warfare in a terrain that Hamas fighters know very well.
0: The prospect of a full-scale ground invasion has loomed ever since the attack on Israel. In part, it has started. But currently, it's not a quote-unquote full invasion. When it does start, they'll be facing the armed wing of Hamas. Known as the Iz ad al qassam Brigades, their exact numbers are not known, but they are believed to number around 30 to 40,000 fighters. Not as sophisticated as the Israeli military with its access to US military technology, but they do have access to thousands of rockets, including long-range missiles and drones. Perhaps its most feared asset is the group's network of tunnels.
1: The tunnel system that Hamas has built over the years does give them an advantage over the terrain because they know these tunnels and the ins and outs better than anyone else. How intricate and how detailed and how extensive they are is also not not something that we are aware of and and we know uh, very well at this point but it certainly gives them an advantage in the fighting, which makes urban warfare even more difficult and more costly in terms of human life.
0: Just recently, footage was shared on social media that showed how effective these tunnels can be. Out of a tunnel, covered by undergrowth, a Hamas fighter emerges. He's able to run to the side of an Israeli tank and place a hand-primed explosive on the side. The explosion disables the tank's defences, and allows two fellow Hamas fighters to fire RPG rounds at the tank and destroy it. Urban warfare is always a challenge. A prime example of this came with Russia's invasion of Ukraine. A vastly larger force, Russia, was held up, and ultimately pushed back from Ukrainian urban environments. Any Russian victories of Ukrainian towns and cities have been grinding and costly in both materials and human life. Urban warfare is even more challenging when you're facing an enemy who knows the land better than you and has prepared the ground in anticipation of your attack, as Hamas has done with its tunnels. A high death toll for an attacking Israeli force could be considered likely.
1: So this is also a consideration that may add more pressure domestically on Netanyahu's war cabinet, on Prime Minister Netanyahu himself. And then there's also pressure from various actors, particularly from the regional leaders, neighboring countries, Jordan, Egypt, and others in the GCC, Saudi Arabia, the United Arab Emirates, Bahrain, Qatar, all of these Arab countries that have been pressing for de-escalation from day one, knowing very well that as this extends and expands further and further within Gaza, the likelihood where the risks of escalation beyond Gaza also elevate tremendously. And so there are many different considerations. And I think it's really difficult to predict at this point how long this is going to last. We know what we hear from the Israeli generals and the the IDF and the prime minister, that the way they see it, the way they have planned it or are planning this is that it will take months. But the reality on the ground day to day is very different. And so far, we've been seeing things shifting so quickly on the ground, the death toll increasing by the hour. And it's really difficult to predict how this is going to go and how it's going to unfold and when it it will end.
0: Even as Israel engages with Hamas on the ground, it looks more than likely that the bombardment of civilian areas will continue. As this happens, it is more than likely that Israel Will face continued accusations that it is committing the crime of genocide. Christian Benedict again.
3: Our researchers at Amnesty, we're investigating everything we can. So we have ongoing research into very clear war crimes and other violations of international humanitarian law conducted by Israel's military. That research will give us that additional evidence to make that determination of whether The crime of genocide is actually happening.
0: The UN Genocide Convention, signed in 1948, defines what genocide is. It says that genocide is the intent to destroy in whole or in part a national, ethnic, racial or religious group. Genocidal acts include killing members of the group, causing serious bodily or mental harm to members of the group, deliberately inflicting on the group conditions of life calculated to bring about its physical destruction in whole or in part, imposing measures intended to prevent births within the group or forcibly transferring children of the group to another group. Genocide is, obviously, an incredibly serious crime and accusations of genocide should also be taken incredibly seriously. It is only right that where accusations are made comprehensive, open and fair investigations must take place. With the current siege imposed on Gaza and the near-ceaseless bombardments, such investigations cannot happen.
3: There are, of course, signs of genocidal intent. Those are clearly there. Uh, We've seen those statements from senior Israeli officials and ministers. They have to be taken absolutely seriously and more effort needs to be put into preventing ongoing mass atrocities and preventing them from uh, escalating.
0: Since the horrifying attacks of Hamas on October 7th, Israeli politicians have spoken publicly about the need for the complete destruction of Gaza.
3: One thing I would say is that we have to remember there isn't a hierarchy among these crimes under international law. So if you look at the Rome Statute of the uh, International Criminal Court. Genocide, uh, crimes against humanity and war crimes are, you know, as I say, the most serious crimes of concern to the international community and must not go unpunished. So, you know, as I've said, Israel is committing war crimes and crimes against humanity, including the crime against humanity of apartheid. And we are pressing for that particular crime to be included in the current ICC investigation.
0: We cannot say with legal certainty that the crime of genocide is happening until it can be fully investigated. But just because the crime of genocide cannot be confirmed does not mean that everything Israel is doing is legal under international law. War crimes are being committed. The clearest war crime to see is the siege. A siege for the purpose of denying sustenance to the civilian population is a war crime. Additionally, collective punishment is a war crime. Hamas committed war crimes when it slaughtered civilians in Israel. The thousands of children killed by Israel since then are not responsible for the actions of Hamas. By collectively punishing the Palestinian people of Gaza, Israel is committing a war crime. Similarly, cutting off food and water is a form of collective punishment. While the Israeli government might not be too fussed about whether it is or isn't committing genocide, its international bankers will likely pay more attention to these claims.
1: I think that positions and policies have shifted somewhat since October 7th, since the initial sort of few days or, or, you know, two weeks of the October 7th attack from just, you know, looking at the rhetoric coming out of various Western governments, primarily the United States, from, you know, Israel has the right to defend itself in in all the ways that it that it sees fit. Um, to messaging that's more focused on respecting the rules of war and the the you know international humanitarian law. And there will be more and more outcries in that direction as the death toll rises in Gaza, which it is on a daily basis. We're already hearing calls from various international organizations, particularly those who are trying to ensure that the humanitarian aid, much needed humanitarian aid, is able to enter Gaza and reach those who need it.
0: Any move by Israel supporters away from complete approval of their brutal bombardment is a good thing. But it does require Israel listening and acting on the concerns of its supporters.
1: It depends on who's doing the talking with the Israelis. And we're seeing very basic steps here and there being taken with, you know, negotiate like heavy negotiations between the United States, Israel, Qatar, Egypt, and Hamas to ensure that some aid trucks are able to enter. And we've seen that, you know, the numbers are increasing, but it's really trickling in at this point you know, relative to the the needs of the population, particularly those who are internally displaced, there's a lot more that has to happen. It's very difficult to determine at this point who will have the most leverage to influence the course of things on the ground as we move forward. But there is definitely mounting pressure uh, from various sectors around the world, perhaps not public statements by Western governments yet, but we may be hearing more and more from Western governments as we move forward. The rhetoric has already shifted, but perhaps not enough. What is told in private is certainly in line with what many of these organizations are calling for, respect for for international humanitarian law.
0: As the violence in Gaza has intensified, protests around the world against the violence have also intensified. So far, these calls for an end to the violence have fallen into two categories. A humanitarian pause and a humanitarian ceasefire. They sound similar, but they are not the same. Of late, a humanitarian pause has been the option favoured by Western politicians, including US President Joe Biden, UK Prime Minister Rishi Sunak, and his opposition counterpart, Labour leader, Sakir Starmer. A humanitarian pause would be just that, a pause. Probably not for months or weeks. It's unlikely to be for days. A humanitarian pause would most likely be for just a few hours, after which the bombardments and the war crimes would continue. The second option is a humanitarian ceasefire.
3: A negotiated ceasefire does allow for the aid be able To get in insufficient amounts. That's absolutely, you know, step one. That's absolutely essential. It would allow for hospitals to get medicine, to get fuel, to get water, to be able to rebuild the wards that have been damaged under Israeli bombing. These take time. A humanitarian pause of a few hours is insufficient. Keir Starmer and Sunak and others who think, yes, let's have a few hours, a few trucks will go in. They're not thinking this through and they're not prioritising civilians. And that's the problem.
0: A ceasefire that goes beyond a pause also has the option to provide space for solutions.
3: I'd, I'd also go further, you know, in terms of a long enough negotiated ceasefire gives the space and the environment to... Create a situation where there is the safe release of hostages. That's really, really crucial. It it feels like that's not even a priority for some people, but it would give that more conducive environment to be able to negotiate and release those hostages. And obviously, there, there are other benefits, which are not obviously being talked about a lot more, but are absolutely crucial for the longer term. If you have a ceasefire, a long enough, durable ceasefire, so beyond a pause of a few hours, but longer, it allows the space for war crimes investigators, human rights investigators, including from the International Criminal Court, to get in and get in on the ground and to document what's going on and get to the truth of what's going on. This is absolutely vital to try to address this crisis.
0: And the end to the violence would also help in reducing regional tension there is currently a very genuine fear that the conflict in Gaza could erupt into a wider regional conflict. As it stands, it is not known who would be involved, how many parties would be involved, what their involvement would be, or where any wider regional conflict would occur. All that is known is that it would be devastating. Israel's fight against Hamas has only just begun. And it will be long and difficult for everyone. An Israeli victory is assumed, but perhaps recent events should be a warning not to predict the future. So could Hamas win? And what would winning look like? Marissa kam
1: Right. I mean, I think it's, I think you're absolutely right in asking that question with that caveat, because winning could be increased Popularity and influence amongst Arab publics, amongst the Palestinian people in Gaza. The latest poll that I have seen, that was conducted by Zogby in July of 2023, showcased that only 11% of Gaza residents, of Palestinians in Gaza, support Hamas. And this war has changed that, and will change that. And it has certainly changed the dynamics across the Arab world, where you see more support for, quote unquote, resistance, seeing Hamas as a resistance movement, rather than a terrorist organization as it is designated to be in the United States and in various parts of Europe and in various parts of the world.
0: Since the attack by Hamas on October seventh, the world has borne witness to a seemingly unending stream of horrors first in the Israeli towns and villages surrounding Gaza and then in Gaza itself. We've heard stories of loss, tragedy and trauma. We've seen the pictures and videos of wanton death and destruction. On Thursday, November 1st, Israel reported that it had encircled Gaza City. Observers to this conflict have a good idea about what comes next. If you've been listening to this, you should have a good idea about what comes next. No one can get in, so all we can do is bear witness and hope that the absolute worst does not come to pass. The Israeli authorities still have obligations under international
3: humanitarian law. That's just a fact. They have those obligations under international humanitarian law. To distinguish between combatants and civilians and they're clearly not doing that i would always push back against that it's clear that hamas as well are violating international humanitarian law they have committed war crimes but civilians must be prioritized in an armed conflict and neither party is doing that but it's not enough for israel to say well we're saying hamas are using human shields We're saying that's a uh, military objective, that hospital. We've given advance notice. It's not enough. The assessments are there that these are still civilian objects, that there are civilians in these places. They still have to prioritise civilian life, and clearly they're not
0: doing that. As we watch from the outside, inside Gaza, all Sally Ibrahim and her family can do is wait.
2: Definitely, there is no one here in Gaza can feel uh, in that he or she in a safe place. All of us, just we are under the Israeli attack, and we all of us uh, waiting for our turn. Uh, our turn. We don't know uh, if our turn will be with the life or it will be with the death. So, just we can. Uh, we are. We, what we can do now is awaiting our fate. It depends on the Israeli air strikes.
0: This episode of The New Arab Voice was written and produced by me, Hugo Goodridge. Our theme music was by Omar El-Phil. The New Arab Voice will be back next week. Until then, you can find all our previous episodes on all major podcast platforms. You can also check out our Instagram page and Twitter account, both at The New Arab Voice for additional content. We also have a weekly newsletter which you can sign up for. Find the link in the show notes. You can subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. And you can also rate and review, which helps us spread the word. Don't forget to follow The New Arab on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram for all the latest news, analysis and opinion from the region.